Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspective. Hello, everybody. Oh, my goodness. I am recording this after 9 p.m. on Thursday night, and it really isn't that late, but it feels so late to me. Uh, So I apologize if I sound kind of sleepy, but I just drank a bit of coffee. So I don't know, maybe I'll perk up pretty soon. So before I get started, I just want to remind you all that, well, first of all, I've really been appreciating seeing all of your reviews on Apple Podcasts and elsewhere. That really is the best way to support us. So if you haven't done so already, please go ahead to Apple Podcasts and leave a review The other way that you can do that is leave us a review on our Facebook business page. We really, really appreciate it when you do that, and your review will be featured on our Instagram page for Reviews Day Tuesday. Okay, everybody, by the time you hear this, if you listen to this on the day it comes out, which will be Friday, October 23rd, then there is only 11 days until the election. So I have a few reminders for everybody that is in the United States. I do want to apologize ahead of time that this is going to be focused on the last presidential debate exclusively. Um, I want to apologize for our listeners who are uh, listening to us from other countries that are probably very sick of hearing about our election, but I don't know, maybe you're just as fascinated by it as We all are, but that is the thing that I am going to be talking about tonight. So I wanted to kind of just mention to all Americans in general some things that we can do within the next 11, 12 days to get ourselves ready to vote. So if you are eligible to vote, if you are voting by mail, get it sooner rather than later. Get it sent in as soon as possible. And I cannot say this enough. Ensure that you are reading all of the instructions very, very carefully, even down to the clarity of your signature. Really make sure that you are following the instructions exactly. I guess there are some states that have different instructions than others. Sometimes they're worded very confusingly. There's multiple envelopes and things like that. So if you are going to vote by mail, ensure that you are really following those instructions to make sure that your ballot counts. And if you are voting in person, like me and Max are going to be, check out where in your area you can vote and check and see if you can vote in person early. So we were aware that we could vote early. So we're planning on going this weekend, hopefully, and voting in person early to get it out of the way uh, so that it won't be, you know, November 3rd and a huge line and crazy pandemonium and potential contraction of COVID-19. And I just wanted to say for everybody who is not eligible to vote, whether it's because of your age or otherwise, your voice is still really important. Sadly, at this point, there's probably no changing a Trump supporter's mind, but 
be sure to remind the adults around you, especially the ones who you know are going to be voting for Biden and Harris, remind them to vote, remind them why it's so important and talk to them about why it's important to you. It's something that I've been so in awe of the last like almost four years of being a nanny with uh, the now, you know, almost eight and a half year old child that I care for is his opinions on things that happen politically and how smart kids really are, no matter their age. And if you are a parent, make sure you are educating your kids as well on what's going on. Make sure they're staying informed. This is something that I really wish that I was more a part of as a kid. My parents were politically active in some ways, but I was only aware of certain Um, I guess like political factors that affected me in some ways. I didn't really know a lot about the details of, you know, elections and our governments and our policies and things like that. And it's a really great conversation to have with kids and they get it more than you'd think they would. And really discuss with them the importance of voting and why it should be such an exciting thing for them once they turn 18 that they are able to vote. Uh, The boy that I take care of right now is focusing a lot in class about the 15th and 19th Amendments and why voting was so important to these minority groups and why it is such, you know, this important right that we have now to vote and our democracy, especially in this day and age, holding on to our democracy is so important. Okay, so we should get into this debate before the debate started, um, I was kind of watching the the pre-show update, whatever you want to call it. There was this guy that was talking about how Pennsylvania, Arizona, Florida, and North Carolina are the current undecided states in the election. And statistics say that as long as Biden wins one of those four states, he will win the presidency. And Trump would have to win all four of those states to win. And apparently Maricopa County in Arizona in particular is really coming through for Biden, which is interesting. It's a really big suburb. And if Biden wins Maricopa, he wins Arizona and then he wins the election. So there is a lot riding on this debate tonight in Biden swaying the voters in those four states to kind of go to his side. And another thing that I kind of want to get into a little bit before we talk about the debate, it just reminded me of this when I was reading that last paragraph. I've been hearing a lot about what, how, why we need to have different expectations on this election. There is a normal thing that occurs called a shift where, you know, one candidate will appear to be ahead for most of the election night. And then once, you know, a bigger state comes in or certain votes are done counting, there will be a drastic shift to the other candidate and they can win. And because of the pandemic and the way that our election is set up, they're saying that, you know, we're probably... I shouldn't even say probably. We're not going to get our election results on the night of November 3rd. It's probably going to take much, much longer to make sure that we get all of our votes counted and things like that and make sure that we get everything right. And the thing that's concerning about this is that Trump's campaign is already preparing us for election fraud. You know, they're already preparing us for, you know, it might look like at one point that, you know, Trump is going to be ahead 
especially because Trump's voters are most likely going to be voting in person and voting, you know, before the day of the election or on the day of the election, depending on where they are. And so it could appear that he is actually getting more votes when it might just take longer for all the mail-in votes and everything to be counted for Biden to get a true response. And, you know, this is something that I think people expect to get their results right away, to know that night before they go to bed who their new president is. And I was reminded today, watching this documentary that I saw on HBO, I want to say it was called either 257 or 257 Votes. I don't remember. It was all about the Al Gore and George Bush election in 2000 and the recount. And that's like the only thing that I remember about that election besides being called a baby killer because my parents were voting for Al Gore. Um, But that went on for like over a month, this recount. So we just have to be patient and hopeful. And more than anything, if we are able to, we need to go out and vote. Okay, finally going to get into the debate. Our moderator was Kristen Welker, who is half black and half Native American. And I'm sure she just fucking hates Trump. And she she was just super wonderful. She was really a hit tonight on the Internet. It appears I was doing most of my research immediately after the debate ended. So I don't know the full scope of what it's going to be in Tomorrowland. But what I know about Kristen Welker is that she has been covering the White House since 2011 and was the first black woman to moderate a presidential debate since the year I was born, 1992, which is bonkers bananas crazy town that it has taken 28 years to get another black woman to moderate a presidential debate so she yeah twitter loved her she got lots of great responses i really loved her um every time she called them gentlemen she kept talking to them like they were in kindergarten which made me laugh at the very top of the debate she was you know talking about the protocol and ensuring that everybody has their time to speak and people don't talk over one another nudge nudge wink wink trump and she really just sounded like this you know stern sweet kindergarten teacher you know telling her students to behave uh i she had mentioned that the mics could be muted which i was really excited about Before I get into like policy and everything, it just really made me laugh that every time Biden referenced masks, he would hold up his mask. And if anybody has been watching SNL right now, Jim Carrey is just knocking it out of the park with his Joe Biden impression and, uh, you know, his obsession with the masks and things like that is so funny. So I just I couldn't watch you know, Biden referencing the masks tonight without immediately thinking of Jim Carrey. Tonight's debate was much more normal and civil than the last one. It appears that the mic was maybe muted once on Trump, which was pretty funny. Maybe it happened more often, but I only noticed it that one time. Um, There was a lot that was said, and I was trying to kind of recap it in notes on my computer as I was watching it. And when I was like, you know, probably 15 minutes in and looking through my notes, I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to decipher 
the comments that I'm making. So I went on CNN again, like I did last time after the last debate, and looked through their highlights of the things that, you know, jumped out the most at me, the things that I really want to talk about, so on and so forth. So I'm not going to be able to go through all of the issues. This was a very long debate. There's a lot that happened. Um, So I'm just going to bring up some of the key moments that were meaningful to me in some way. I want to start with Kristen Welker's question describing the talk that many black and brown parents in America have with their children. I just, I love this woman. She's so specific, saying, it happens regardless of class and income. Parents who feel they have no choice but to prepare their children for the chance that they can be targeted, including by the police, for no reason other than the color of their skin. Biden responded saying, I have never had to tell my daughter if she's pulled over to make sure she puts, for a traffic stop, put both hands on top of the wheel and don't reach for the glove box because someone might shoot you. But a black parent, no matter how wealthy or poor they are, has to teach their child when you're walking down the street, don't have a hoodie on when you go across the street. Making sure, in fact, if you get pulled over, yes, sir, no, sir, hands on top of the wheel, because you are, in fact, the victim. Whether you're a person making $300,000 a year person or someone who's on food stamps, the fact of the matter is there is institutional racism in America. And I really liked that he was able to establish his privilege, explaining that he would never have to fear for his daughter's life. He's never had to tell his daughter to prepare herself in the car if a cop pulls her over. And, you know, very much the same. I never had that experience growing up. It was something that I had to learn. Um, My privilege was something that I had to learn to see and something that I had to learn to understand. And it's not something that I feel is anything negative about me, but I like to use my privilege for good. Uh, And I feel in a way that Biden was able to make a connection with Americans tonight by showing this distinct difference between white parenthood and black and brown parenthood, which is something that I personally don't have experience with and don't understand. But the way that he was able to relate white privilege as our, you know, potential future white old man president, I think was a really important uh, comment for him to make. So a big, a big thing tonight was asking Biden how he would handle immigration differently than Obama. And this was something that really bothered me because Trump would constantly bring up why Biden didn't get XYZ done in the White House while he was there for eight years. And all I wanted to do was just scream at him and say he was the vice president and there was so much to do. And also, you know, times change, priorities change. You know, there is such like, you know, moral and social causes that come in waves of things that need to be prioritized. And in no way, shape or form am I saying that immigration shouldn't have been a priority or that they handled it well. I'm going to get into that. I'm saying more generally, there are different um I guess, causes that are brought forward at different times. So I feel like there's a lot of reasons why Biden didn't get some things done that we're asking for now when he was in office. And I mean, I think it's pretty well known that the vice president really doesn't have that much say in what gets done. It has to be okayed by the president. So let's talk a little bit about Obama's history with immigration. So 
Obama has been criticized for his immigration policy, and in short, according to Cato.org, which was written in 2017, it says, Obama's immigration legacy is a complex one. On the one hand, he is the harshest enforcer of immigration laws in American history, deporting more illegal immigrants than any previous administration. On the other hand, his executive actions have also helped shield from deportation some 750,000 unauthorized immigrants who were brought here as children. Obama was also once referred to as deporter-in-chief. So this was Biden's response when asking how he would handle immigration differently than um, his co-worker, I guess, his boss, Obama. He starts by saying that they made a mistake. He said it took too long to get it right. I'll be president of the United States, not vice president of the United States. Biden goes on saying, the fact is, I've made it very clear within 100 days, I'm going to send the United States Congress a pathway to citizenship for over 100 million undocumented people. And all of those so-called dreamers, those DACA kids, they're going to be immediately certified again to be able to stay in this country and put on a path to citizenship. The idea that they are being sent home by this guy and they want to do that is they've got a country they've never seen before. So with that, he was talking about the fact that a lot of these kids who Trump wants to send back to um, their parents' home countries have never really been to the countries. Some of these kids came to the U.S. very, very young and don't have that experience. So deporting them back would be incredibly cruel. In an interview with CNN in July 2019, Biden had said, I think people should have to get in line. But if people are coming because they're actually seeking asylum, they should have a chance to make their case. And that's something that he reiterated tonight, that if somebody is coming to this country seeking asylum, seeking help, that we have an obligation to help them. We have a moral obligation to help them, which is something that our country has been known for for quite a long time, you know, coming in and being the helpers and the heroes. And that's, you know, what we want to believe that we are. So we need to kind of, you know, put actions to those words. So, of course, Russia was brought up tonight and Iran was brought up as well. But let's talk about um, some of the claims that Trump made regarding Biden and Russia. Trump claimed that Biden received $3.5 million from Russia. Trump said that it came through Putin because he was very friendly with the former mayor of Moscow and it was the mayor of Moscow's wife. So this was actually an allegation that Trump had previously made against Biden's son, Hunter, but there's absolutely no connection to Joe Biden. So the fact that he was even bringing this up tonight really doesn't make any sense. Um, both Joe and Hunter have denied these allegations in general that uh, Hunter received these this $3.5 million from Russia. A Republican report showed that a Russian businesswoman and late wife of Moscow Mayor Yuri Luskov sent $3.5 million in 2014 to a firm called Rosemont Seneca Thornton. Hunter Biden was the co-founder of Rosemont Seneca Advisors, but it isn't clear that these two businesses are connected in any way. So this investigation kind of came up with nothing and it made no sense for uh, Trump to bring it up in the first place tonight. 
Healthcare was also a big thing tonight, and Biden came up with something new that I had never heard him talk about before, and that is something he is calling Biden Care, which sounds like it's essentially going to be Obamacare 2.0. <laughs> he said that most of it would be the same, but he wants to put more money into the system and add an option for people to buy into a Medicare-like program. This was originally suggested to be added to the 2010 bill, but it was cut out before Obama could sign it into law um and it's just it, the whole the naming of healthcare is just funny to me in general because like trump is claiming that he made this one change to obamacare therefore he's fixed healthcare and he's created his own healthcare system and you know biden is kind of doing the same thing where he's going to take these basic concepts and the things that he and obama came up with during you know, their time in the White House, but he's going to call it Biden care. You know, it's it's just funny to me. It essentially sounds like it's going to be Obamacare with some other things added. And of course, Trump goes after Biden, you know, saying that this is a, you know, socialized medicine, that he wants to bring socialized medicine to the U.S., you know, calling all of this a very socialist tactic even bringing up Bernie Sanders a few times, bringing up AOC, things like that. And it's just very funny to me because Biden was always so adamant during the original Democratic debates that he was not for Medicare for all at all. And he makes that very, very clear. And it's frustrating because like, stop defending that. Like, I, I wish he would defend Medicare for all, but he doesn't. And I guess in this case, that is kind of a win for him against Trump, who keeps trying to push this rhetoric that Biden is this socialist mastermind. So here we go. Both candidates were asked about the recent news that Iran and Russia obtained U.S. voter registration information in an effort to interfere with the election. And Biden said that he would make it perfectly clear that anyone who interferes will pay the price if he is elected president. He went on to confront Trump about his connections to Putin. And he, uh, Biden also mentioned Trump's connections to the North Korean Kim Jong-un and things like that. And it, it it's interesting how Trump spins these relationships that, that he has with these... Uh, mm, dangerous foreign leaders. Trump refused to answer the question, instead choosing to focus on a deal that he claims Biden's son made with the Ukraine. He also said that he believes that Russia and Iran are out to get rid of him. So he's, yeah, he's claiming that Russia and his buddy Putin are actually rooting for Joe Biden and want Trump out of the White House, which doesn't make any sense to me. So another topic that I was going to talk about separately tonight, but came up in the debate tonight and is very important to discuss, is that they Biden and Trump were asked how they would plan to reunite the 545 children that are still displaced from their parents after being separated at the border. So despite a federal judge's order that the government must reunite families that were separated under Trump's zero tolerance policy, the parents of 545 children are still not found. The filings given before the U.S. District Judge Dana Sabra in San Diego estimates that two-thirds of the separated parents are believed to have returned to their home countries because of deportation, which has led to large on-the-ground searches for them referred to as steering committees, which I believe are 
all led by the ACLU or maybe just part of it, uh, but the ACLU is part of it. These efforts were stopped by the pandemic, unfortunately, or just very much slowed down. As of October 20th, the committee has gone from 1,030 children to reunite with their parents down to now that number 545. Trump says something absolutely disgusting, especially when you're asked a question regarding children who are missing their parents. He goes on to call the people that were bringing these children in coyotes, saying they were brought in by cartels and, quote, bad people. He says that we now have the strongest border that we've ever had with over 400 miles of his precious wall built. And in regards to the children whose parents cannot be located, he says that they are trying, quote, very hard. But then he says, but a lot of these kids come out without the parents. They come over through cartels and through coyotes and through gangs, which drove me insane. And it drove Biden crazy, too. Biden said, it's not coyotes didn't bring them over. Their parents were with them. They got separated from their parents. And it makes us a laughingstock and violates every notion of who we are as a nation, which is true. Biden says the Trump administration is criminal. And it's true. They are. And the fact that Trump is saying that these kids are coming over with anyone other than their parents, statistically, most children who are here that they are trying to locate their parents and reunite them, most of them did come over with their parents. So this narrative that Trump is trying to push is just not true. So they opened the debate tonight talking about the coronavirus and Trump attempted to ensure us that a vaccine was coming in just a few weeks, even though we know that there's no way that there can be a safe vaccine brought to us that is going to work. Uh, he's claiming that the virus is going to be gone soon, while Biden sounded like he was auditioning for the pilot of Game of Thrones, warning that winter is coming. But he's right. Statistically, we could lose another 20,000 Americans this winter due to COVID-19. And Trump said that Americans are learning to live with it. But Biden bites back, insisting that we are learning to die with it. And I really think it is so important to create more fear in Americans when it comes to this pandemic. That is something that Biden brought up saying that, you know, Americans don't panic. You panicked. You know, that's why you didn't bring this up and prepare us beforehand. But I think it's really good that he's using this language that is very intense and fearful in a way so that Americans will take this seriously because Trump has gone so far in the other direction where he's made so many people believe that this virus is just not a big deal and that the thousands and thousands of lives lost are just meaningless. Biden also criticized Trump for not taking responsibility for how bad the virus got in the United States. And Trump said, I take full responsibility. It's not my fault it came here. It's not Joe's fault it came here. No, instead he blamed China. I really love the final question that Kristen Welker asked both candidates. She asked them to imagine what they would say to the Americans who didn't vote for them in their inaugural speech. Biden focused on unity. He was very presidential, repeating like he had a few times tonight, saying that he isn't a president for the red states and the blue states. He wants to be a president for the United States and bring us together. And I think that is the most important quality of his campaign. And so I was glad to see him really bring this home. 
But unfortunately, Trump was much less presidential in his response, talking about how we would go into an economic depression if we didn't vote for him and other fear tactics, which sounded much more like one of his rally speech than an inauguration speech. This was something that's interesting that I haven't seen much about online yet, but I'm sure I'll see more tonight and tomorrow morning. Biden briefly compared Trump to Hitler, and I'm very surprised that Trump didn't say anything in response to that. So that was the debate tonight. That is mostly what happened. I was hoping for, I don't know, a few more big moments, but I guess I'm kind of glad that there wasn't. I I watched the documentary Reversing Row this past week on Netflix. If you haven't watched it, oh my gosh, all of our listeners, you will all love it so much. It's so good. Um, but they talked about a big shift in Trump's presidency back in 2016, and that was during, I believe it was their last debate when Trump kind of fully came out against abortion and said some very, you know, intense Trumpisms about, you know, ripping babies out nine months into pregnancies and things like that and really taking a very strong pro-life stance, which did a really uh, good thing for his numbers on election day. And then also watching the documentary that is today about the election of Al Gore and President Bush, the importance of it not being a close election. We need this to be a landscape slide but also you know the importance of that popular vote and how much it pisses me off that that isn't what we listen to you know Al Gore actually won the popular vote Hillary actually won the popular vote so that's just something that needs to be gotten rid of and it's something that's really frustrating to me but we cannot lose hope we must not Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Just Me, giving you the news. I hope that you all liked this episode. If you want to reach out to me in any way, go ahead and email me at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or catch us on Instagram at angryneighborhoodfeminist. You can also get us on Facebook. I already mentioned that business page in the beginning of the episode, but we also have a group page where you can chat with the other listeners. Everybody is wonderful. We have a Twitter that we sometimes use at Yamp Podcast, Y-A-N-F Podcast. Like I said in the beginning of the episode, we really appreciate when you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That is the best way that you can support us. And if you don't already, please go ahead and scurry your way over to that Radio Public app and listen to us there. It helps us just a tiny bit, and we really, really appreciate it every time you listen to us there. All right, that's all I have for you all today. With all of that being said, I encourage you to rage on. Bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. 
and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.